Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. All right. Well, I'm sitting here with Jeff Hashimoto and Langdon Ernest Beck. I did say that right. I always second guess myself every episode. For those of you who listen to us, this is Scott messing up again, but we're going to roll with it. All right, guys. You did something crazy. You climbed 100 of the tallest peaks in Washington State, and you did it in one season. But if that's not enough, you use bicycles to get to them. Jeff, what I've read is you were the brains behind this idea initially. What on earth were you thinking? <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not sure if brains is the right term, but uh, I think, I mean, I, I've done a lot of stuff in the mountains for like my whole life pretty much. And I've done a lot of trail running and I like setting out crazy challenges and trying to do, do hard things, um, do challenging things. And, um, and then it kind of came about in a couple ways, but one of the, the things I did about 25 years ago was bicycle to our local mountain, Mount Stewart, which is really visible from Ellensburg and climbed it and bicycled back. And it struck me that people asked me about that a lot more than a lot of other things that I've done. And that's, that was something that was, that just kind of like, it had a, uh, I don't know, it had a certain appeal to it that was kind of cool. And so, and I think the idea of human powered kind of grew on me as, you know, concern for uh, climate change right. and carbon emissions. And, you know, because I've, like I said, I've done a lot of stuff in the mountains, but I've also traveled a lot and emitted a lot of carbon in traveling to the mountains. So the idea of doing human powered takes on more importance, the, the worse that climate change gets. And so, um, so I kind of had been, looking at the, these mountains and I thought, I wonder if it'd be possible to do those in a year. And I wasn't really sure it'd be possible, but I thought I, I, it might be. And so I kind of hatched that idea. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> Langdon approached me and was like, are we, we're, Langdon and I were talking and he's like, hey, I'd like to do some video. And then, uh, well, I don't know, you can, you can pick that up. I got, I'm going to interrupt because yeah. I read this part about how Langdon was training before you kind of decided to let him come along. So it was like, what? Oh, wait a second. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Jeff, how long, from, when did you come up with the aha, this is what I wanted. This is the idea. Like you, you kind of crystallized. How it actually was in like June of 2022. So oh. about a year before we, we did it. Okay. And when did you approach Langdon? How did he hear about the idea? I think we, well, we're, we're neighbors, so we see each other a lot and we talked that summer and, uh, and so he, he was talking about doing a video for it. And then, see, I think we've told the story differently, which is not, I mean, I think he didn't really ask permission. He just said, do you think I have the skills to do this trip? Okay. All right. And at that time he said, well, I don't, probably not. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and so, but then he basically spent all of summer 2022 climbing mountains and developing all the skills that he would need. Okay. And I mean, it was really cemented. I think we did a, a trip together, just a day trip around Snoqualmie Pass, climbing a bunch of the peaks around Commonwealth Basin. Um, and it was like, oh yeah, this is like, you, you, you have, you've learned all these skills. And so that was, 
So he had the skills and, and the aptitude and more importantly, he put in the work. All yeah. Right. Jeff, you're a, you're a school teacher. You are a cross country instructor for the school. Yeah. I coach cross country. I coach track and field. And also um, we have a cross country ski team. That's a club team. Okay. So I kind of coach a lot. Yeah. So you like to exert yourself in long distance type of things. You're not, I mean, have you ever completed a, a marathon? That is a fair statement. Okay. I've completed a bunch of marathons. Um, Ironman? I've done, <clears throat> no, I've done ultra trail runs um, up to, I've done uh, the, a couple, I've done the fat dog 120 mile trail run in, in uh, British Columbia. That's uh, outside magazine touted it as one of the, I think nine toughest trail runs in the world. So. Okay. Langdon, have you ever done a marathon? Nope. Okay. Um, okay. But he has run 30 miles. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess I've, I've done a marathon, but not as a race. Not as a race. Okay. All right. So Langdon, what about Jeff's idea spoke to you? Um, well, pretty much any idea that Jeff has is usually great. Um, and it just sounded like a fantastic adventure. And it was something that never had been done before. And so at the beginning, I was really interested in just documenting, um, documenting the expedition. And then as I started getting in the mountains more and, and spending time climbing with Jeff, I kind of realized that it would be fun just to do the whole thing as well. Okay. Yeah. So what you guys accomplished is, is it the Bulger list? Is that what it's called? Actually, I'm mispronouncing that. I think. It is the Bulger list. Okay. Um, which is the historical list of the hundred highest peaks in Washington that was developed back in the, in the late seventies by a group of mountaineers that called themselves the Bulgers. Do we know why? Um, we do know why. <laughs> we do know why. <laughs> we do know why. Can we share? Yes. There is an Australian poem that one of these uh, mountaineers had memorized and was reciting on a climbing trip. And he mispronounced the word bludgers as bulgers and it stuck. Stuck. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, one of the things, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. There are, there are a number of lists of mountains in the state mm-hmm. that people are, are interested in. So this one was kind of the historical list of the highest hundred mountains. And at first it was a kind of a closed list just to the members of this climbing club. And then it was publicized and it has, there's some rather arcane rules for picking peaks. Uh, and, uh, for example, there is a, a peak called Horseshoe Peak, which is not a particularly prominent peak, uh, but is included in the list. A lot of times if two peaks are right next to each other and there's they're basically connected, then only one of them will count. So oh. that the amount that a peak stands out is called its prominence. And so uh, peaks are considered usually to have to have 400 feet of prominence unless they've had some historical interest. And the Bulgers made that list, and that was the first list of its type. And they made it as soon as the surveys of the the, the Pesaten were done, and there were really good maps. And so they poured over these maps, finding these peaks that satisfied the criteria. 
including some new peaks, which they, they named that hadn't even been named or climbed before, which is pretty cool. Like, give me an example of one. Uh, Monument Peak is in the Pesaten, um up Monument Creek. And, uh, and there are three peaks in there, Monument, Lake, and Black Cap, which were, they identified on these new surveyed maps and thought, hey, I don't think anyone's climbed this peak and um, or any of these peaks. And so they, they, well, they made the first ascent of two of them. And then word got out to uh, mountaineer and peak beggar extraordinaire Fred Becky that one of these peaks might be unclimbed still. And he actually uh, scooped the first ascent from the, the bulgers. And <laughs> when the bulgers arrived on top, I guess there was a cairn or that Becky had left. So, um, but anyway, so there's, there's this historical list and there's other lists around too. But one of the funny things this summer is there's another guy who's out surveying these mountains and trying to figure out like the strict 400 feet foot prominence list and resurveying with modern equipment and is sort of changing the list, which to the chagrin of mountaineers who've already accomplished a list only to find that it changes. So, but the Bulger list is unchanging. It's kind of the traditional list and that's, that's the one that most people choose to do. But. And when you decided to do this, you said basically in June of 2022, so you did this. When, when did you guys start? You started in May of 23, right? Didn't you start? I read that. That's correct. So uh, less than a year of planning here. That's correct. Yeah. Which seems short to me because do you have to get like permits? Like some of these are like, you just just don't go like Rainier. You just don't get to go up, you know, climb up Rainier on Tuesday afternoon for the the heck of it. Or do you? Well, you can, if you, um, (laughs) I mean, the, the thing, some places are hard to get permits for. St. Helens is the hardest to get permits for because it's very popular. Okay. And so um, permits become available on the first of every month for the following month. And they're gone within a couple hours. Oh, wow. uh, so it's, um, yeah. So we were actually in the mountains and my wife got online. I told my wife, let's get a permit for August 16th. Um, and so she got on and got, got the permits for us because we didn't have cell coverage that morning to, to do it on July 1st. Okay. So you, so out of the hundred peaks, did you have to get permits for all 100? Oh, no, no. Okay. No. And there, but there are a lot of peaks like in North Cascades national park where you need to permit to camp overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily to climb. But a lot of those permits are available. Like you can just walk up to the ranger station. Okay. And if they have availability, then you can get a permit. Okay. And we were very fortunate to go to the North Cascades ranger station in Marble Mount on like a Tuesday or something, because we just walked in and got a permit. And we encountered some people a few days later who were there on a Friday morning and said that there was, there's a little take a number thing and said that there were a hundred people ahead of them in line. That's mind boggling to me that there's that many people running around climbing peaks. <laughs> well, and that's not just climbing. That's to, just to go camp to camp oh, in, okay. in the national park. Yeah. So. so how did you decide what order you were going to climb the list in? So that, I mean, that's one thing that's really, that was figuring out the, the route is, was a big part of the planning. Um, and 
we started on the east, partly because we live on the east side and worked our way up the east side. And one of the big worries was fire and the east side is drier. And so we were worried that that we would get shut down by wildfires. And there have been some, you know, there have been some pretty big fires that have shut down big areas, including this year. There were four areas where, where we were that were later closed by fire, but we weren't. Uh, this, the closest we were was about four or five days away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and but the east side we were more worried about. So we worked our way up the east side and then across the North Cascades Highway to the west side. Most of the peaks are in the North Cascades and then all the way south to St. Helens and Mount Adams. Okay. So, so I'm going to ask this one question. I'd like both of you to answer it independently of each other. Put your hands on your ears so you don't hear the other one answer something like that. But out of the 100 peaks, which was the most difficult for you to, to climb? We don't have to plug our ears because I think we know this. Yeah. Is it the same for both of you? No. no. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. For me, the most difficult peak was Mount St. Helens. Really? Why is that? Not because, I mean, traditionally it's a not that hard of a peak to climb, but our circumstances were such that we had to climb on August 16th, the day of our permit. And we woke up in Chehalis on August 16th and still had something like 120 miles to go on our bikes. So we oh. didn't end up getting to the trailhead until around 10 p.m. And we climbed through the night and I was very dehydrated. And it was the hottest day of the year. It was oh. the hottest day of the year. And uh, it was borderline hallucinating and it was not a very pleasant experience. So wait a second. You rode 120 miles but that day and then yeah. you climbed St. Helens on top of it and came back down St. Helens. Yeah, it was a, it took us a little more than a day. I think we we got back to the trailhead at like 6:30 in the morning or something. Okay. Jeff, if that wasn't the hardest one for you, I really am scared to hear your answer, but what's what was the hardest peak for you? Oh, the hardest peak for me was probably Snowfield, which is in the North Cascades and uh and we both came down with some intestinal uh, illness, which our leading candidate is something like norovirus. Uh, and so we had taken a complete, we had, we had been feeling fairly sick on Jack Mountain the day before. And then the next day we just lay in our sleeping bags all day long and felt fairly, fairly bad. And then, then the next morning we woke up to climb Snowfield Mountain and it initially went pretty well. Um, and then in the middle of the day, my intestines started to act up and I started feeling pretty, pretty nauseated. And I mean, I think really the problem, I wasn't really able to take in food and water. So I just was out of energy and dehydrated and on the hike down from Snowfield, actually, I mean, it's a, it's a very steep hike down, but even on the, at the end, there's two miles on, on a trail and I was just really suffering on the trail and I had to stop. I think three times in that two mile hike down a down on a downhill trail, just to like lie down and kind of, um, you know, gather myself to make it the rest of the way. And then when I got to the trail, I still had 30 miles to hike, to, to ride back to, to get to Marble Mountain that night. So 
Um, that was, I think that was the toughest day for me. I wasn't sure I was going to make that that day. And we haven't mentioned the other character on, on, on our trip was Uhuru, my son, who um, okay, probably did 95% of the work on the trip um, and climbed about 60% of the peaks. Um, but Uhuru was dealing with recovering from a back injury. Oh, so we weren't even sure if, if he, I mean, he was in, interested in the trip initially, but then we weren't sure if it was going to work. And so, um, but, uh, so he started off with us and we thought, well, maybe he's just going to go bike for a few days with us. And then he just kept plugging along. And when it, it worked out pretty well, cause when he needed a rest day, he could just take one and we would climb up some peaks and he would, he would rest or he would do fewer peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but then he ended up doing all the biking and, you know, getting, doing lots and lots of hiking and, um, and, and being along on the trip. So, so. But I got to the trailhead on that snowfield day, and Uhuru was waiting for me. And I think I, I think I would have just collapsed there on the side of the road if, if he hadn't been there. But he's like, "Hey, let's go! Let's go ride down there. We'll be okay. I want some chocolate." And uh, <laughs> and so it was, um, you know, that we 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 worked our way there and got there a, a couple hours after Langdon or a few hours after Langdon got there. So oh my gosh. Well, you, you just kind of casually said, you know, you did most of the biking and there's an article out here that says you guys, you guys biked almost 1900 miles. Okay. So that's not a little bit of biking. That's a lot of biking and that you climbed almost 835 miles. And earlier we were talking, this article says 381,781 feet of elevation. Langdon, you told me it was a little more than that. Yeah, well, if you if you add the the hiking elevation with the biking elevation, okay, okay, then it comes out to pretty much half a million. That's 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 you guys. That's just that's crazy to me. This is you know I don't know, I don't know how you guys did it, and I'm I think that's why I'm talking to you. I want to figure out how on earth you guys accomplished this. So I have more questions. What was the most peaks you did in one day? The most peaks we did in one day was five. Okay. And how long which, of a day was that? Which we did two times. Okay. Um, both of those days were probably 18 or 19 hours. And how much recovery then the next day? Were you going out the next day or did you take a day off to recover or? One of them was on a weekend trip in May while Jeff was still teaching. Mm-hmm. So we had the next day, well, I had the next day to rest. Jeff had to work. <laughs> and then the, the other day we did five peaks. We probably slept five for six hours and, and kept going the next day. Okay. <laughs> so Jeff, you did five peaks and you went and taught school the next day. Um, first off, I don't know, kudos to you for being a teacher. Um, and yeah, but what, what did your students think of this? Um, I think they think it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, in May when, when this was happening, I think a a few of them knew what was going on and I talked to, to a few of them and, um, or I talked to some of the classes that I teach and, and the kids that I coach. Um, but I wasn't even sure we were going to pull it off. So I was not trying to like hype it up too much or anything. And so, 
but uh, but certainly all the runners knew because we do a summer running and I, I wasn't going to be there for that. So, um, so they all knew. And then, yeah, probably those weren't the most inspiring teaching days that, um, that I've had. And I meant not, a, although actually I, I feel like that day uh, after um, the first trip, I, I was pretty energetic that day. Actually, we were in Leavenworth and we were biking back home over Blue Pass and, uh, and it was, I, I'm not that good at staying up super late. And so we're biking along and it's getting to be like 10, 11 o'clock. And, uh, and, and I, and Lane is like, let's just go home. I don't care what time we get home. It could be four in the morning. That'll be fine. And I, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. And, and, and then, but I was falling asleep on the bike and I, I said, Lane, and I, I don't think I can ride. Like I'm going to just wake up and be like crashed on the side of the road. And, uh, and Lane is like, that's ridiculous. You can't fall asleep on the bike like that. How is that even possible? Um, and but I convinced him to stop. He later learned that that is possible. Yeah. Um, and uh, but uh, I convinced him to stop. So we slept. And then there's a we and it rained that night, and we were in a tent. And we woke up in the morning pretty early to bike the rest of the way home. And and it was fairly close for me to get back in time to make it to school to teach class. But I did have enough time to go to um, to go to a local coffee shop and get some coffee and. Uh, and some breakfast. And I was, I was pretty, uh, I might've been hyped up on a lot of caffeine that, that morning. So. <laughs> but you didn't, you did not go home before teaching. No, I did not go home before so teaching. So you went to the class after riding your bike and climbing and no shower? Uh, that's correct. I, uh, <laughs> some, some, uh, I sheepishly, why well, I, I, yeah, I, I used some deodorant and uh, I had left some, you know, I'd left my teaching clothes from the previous week there. So I had, you know, from the previous Friday. So I, you know, could go and change into those and <laughs> try not to stand too close to people. What was the longest bicycling leg on this thing? Mile, mileage wise. You said um, 120 from Chehalis to St. Helens, but. Yeah. So longer? the longest single day was probably the, maybe the day before that. And it was maybe 140 or 150 miles. Um, but the stretch from the North Cascades where we were, actually BC, down to St. Helens ended up being something like 425 miles um, that we did in three days. What route did you take? How did you go? Um, we took a bunch of odd bike paths down the west side and and in county roads mm -hmm. um yeah kind of a mix of bike paths county roads city roads okay yeah and this is kind of the thing that's different about the west side and the east side so when we're when we map out a bike route like from here to leavenworth or here to mazama if you just look at it on google maps for a car and a bike it's basically the same route mm-hmm but on the west side, you can drive down I-5 and it's fairly direct. But on a bicycle, there's all this east, west, and so on. And so I thought this was going to be 300 or so miles. And that bike ride turned out to be like 420 miles. I mean, it was so much longer. And, uh, and so really biking in urban areas, there's just so much extra side to side. And, you know, finding ways across the Stillaguamish River, there's like, not a bridge except for the i5 bridge and then there's the, the centennial trail bridge um 
but there's, there's, you know, there, there's not, it's a, we're, our infrastructure is all designed around cars. Right. No, you bring up a good point that you, so how did you guys cross the still Guam on the Centennial Trail Bridge? Yeah, that was correct. That was a pretty good bike trail. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever done the, the STP? Either of you? Seattle to Portland? Nope. Bike ride? Nope. You should probably try that, you know, right from Seattle, <laughs> right from Seattle to Portland in a day. Yeah. It doesn't have any mountains. No, it's, it's, uh, I had yeah. a friend, I had a friend once who was going to do it and, um, they asked me, they said, Hey, can you drop me off at the U in the morning and then pick me up in Portland in the afternoon? Yeah, sure. Um, we're going to go down to Eugene, uh, for music event the next day. And I go, how long is it going to take you? And I can't remember exactly what it was. This is a long time ago. Like 11 hours and 15 minutes or something. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And they were like off by like three minutes. I mean, they had this thing, you know, they, they knew what they were doing. They, they, I don't know. Yeah. But it's awe-inspiring to watch all those bicyclists start off all at once in just, you know, a, a big old herd of them. All right. We've talked about your bikes, but we haven't talked about your bikes. How much gear were you guys carrying around? Because you got to carry some camping supplies and you got to carry some climbing supplies and you can only carry so much on a bike and food. You missed food. Okay. (laughs) That's very (laughs) unlike me to miss food. Um, How did you guys, how did you guys coordinate supplies and all of that on this? So what, one of the things is we wanted to carry all our own gear and then we mailed the resupplies, but we didn't want to have like someone driving along and bringing us stuff because if the, purpose was to be carbon emissions free that we having someone drive along kind of defeats the purpose. Like if that's the case, we could just ride with them. So we had, um, uh, mailed resupplies and then we had gear, you know, we had front and rear bike racks. We did not use trailers, uh, but we had front and rear bike racks with bags all over them. And, um, and, and, but food was a major weight, especially, um, on the section across the North Cascades Highway because there's not a place to get food between Mazama and Marble Mountain. Mm-hmm. So there's a long stretch with a lot of peaks of about 16 days or so where we had a lot of food to bike up Washington Pass with. Hmm. Okay. So weight-wise, what do you think you were probably carrying then? Uh, I think when we left Mazama, my bike was maybe 110 pounds. Okay. And by the time you got done with that leg, down to about 20? Just kidding. But you know, uh... <laughs> No, I think I figured that I had about, started with about 50 pounds of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little less, maybe like 40 pounds of food. So. Okay. Yeah. And it's also, it's gotta be food that's easy to prepare too. It's not like you're you know, in, in refrigeration and all. You, there's just a lot of logistics that you guys crammed into a, a really brief period of time of massive activity. So. Yeah, that's true. And then in terms of camping gear and climbing gear, I mean, we, we went pretty light. I mean, we, we were really trying to, to not have any unnecessary stuff and have the lightest gear that we could. And if there was a piece of gear that we didn't think we'd need, we would not bring it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, we, 
we went as light as we could. I think it, you know, there's in retrospect, we're like, oh, maybe we could have saved a little weight here and there, but we, we, we did a pretty good job with keeping the equipment really light. Well, one question about equipment, and this is for Langdon, what camera were you using? Cause the your photography that you've got going on here is it, it's beautiful. You're, you, kudos to you. So what were you, what were you using? Yeah, I was, uh, shooting on the same camera that's sitting in that is shooting us right now, which is, um, a Sony, a full frame Sony mirrorless camera. Like an A7? Yeah, it's a A7 IV. Okay. And it's not particularly light, but, but I wanted to be able to take, take the photos and the video. And, and so that was kind of a necessary piece of equipment for me. What, what other, uh, how many lenses did you take with you? Just one lens, one uh, lens. 20 to 40. Okay. Yeah. What, how did you keep, oh, that's cool. So I'm scrolling on your website right now. Looking at the, the, uh, the explosion of the sourdough ridge fires. That's the photo I'm looking at. That was like caught my eye. Um, okay. From a battery standpoint, what were you, what, what were you required to, what'd you bring along? I had two batteries a solar charger and then like every time we would roll through town even if it was just like stopping for lunch we'd like plug in all of our all of our electronics and then we each had like a a rechargeable battery pack Mm -hmm. that we could use to recharge phones or the camera um but really the camera was not ever a problem to keep charged um the batteries last forever, it seems. What were people like when you ran, when you ran across them out while you were doing this? Because on some of it, I read you guys, there were some other hikers on the, on the same, same things you guys were doing that individual day, but like, well, Jeff, what'd your wife think of all this? Um, I mean, she's been married to me for a long time. I think she kind of rolls her eyes when I come up with ideas. Uh, and so she was, she was awesome. She was very supportive. I mean, I guess the first thing is that I said, Hey, I've got this idea. And she didn't say, heck no. You know, she, she was like, Oh, that sounds cool. Um, so, uh, she was, she was supportive. I think she was, um, but yeah, she's, yeah. I, I, She's, she's awesome. She's very understanding. <laughs> and she got you your pass for St. Helens. So that's, you know, she, she plays a role probably a lot more than that in this too. But how about when you ran into people uh, when you're out climbing and you're out and you're doing your thing, what were, I'm sure you're having some conversations with the people you met out there. What, what was the general consensus of people? Well, I think I, Elena did a good job posting stuff on, uh, on, on some Facebook groups. Uh, and so, one thing that was really funny is we would run into somebody and a lot of times if you see someone way out in the, well, first of all, most of the first peaks that we, the first 40 or 50 peaks, we didn't see anyone. I think of the first 50 peaks we saw, we saw people on Rainier Mm -hmm. and we saw someone on Remmel mountain, but those were the only two mountains where we saw people. And so we didn't see that many people, but once we started seeing people in some of the more popular popular peaks and during the high part of the season. Um, I mean, there was a time where we, we saw someone and, you know, struck up a conversation. What are you doing? Oh, we're, we're climbing the Bulger peaks this summer. 
with with human power, and they would say, "Oh, you're those guys," <laughs> and that happened a bunch of times in a row. And kind of the, the funniest instance of that is we were biking up to a trailhead in, and it was evening, it was late, and there was a, um, it was still light, but we're biking up, and there's a uh, a couple camped in, in in their in their van by the side of the road, and we bike by and we just say hello, and then uh, a few seconds later, one of them comes running up to us and says, "Hey, wait, are you the guys climbing all the the bulgers this summer, human powered?" And we're like, "Yeah, that's us." And he's like, "Oh my gosh, you're those guys," and. Uh, you should have shirts so, made that said, we're those guys on the back. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool. There was once where, because, okay, one question is, what do you use for a helmet? Do you use a climbing helmet oh, yeah. or a bicycling helmet? So I, I consulted with a friend of mine who who works for works on climbing helmets and works on climbing gear and asked him about, you know, safety trade-offs and what, what he would recommend. And he said the safety features are pretty similar for impact protection but biking helmets can have more holes so they can have better ventilation. So I took a biking helmet okay. and lengthened and who took climbing helmets. But at one point we're on a mountain and someone looked at me and it's like, why are you wearing a biking helmet? Did you bike here? And I said, well, actually, yeah. And I said, oh, you're those guys. <laughs> those guys. Oh my gosh. That's actually interesting because yeah, you, double duty, the helmet would be something you could save weight on by, you know, going with one versus carrying two. Okay. You're those guys. You you said earlier that you weren't talking to the kids about it because you weren't sure you were going to do it. You know that you weren't going to be able to accomplish it. Hundred hundred hikes is hundred peaks. That's a lot of work. When did you? When did you guys come to the conclusion we're going to get this done? I mean, I don't think that we thought we'd get it done for sure until like two weeks before we finished mm -hmm. because there's so many unknown variables with fires and weather and injury, mm -hmm. um, sickness, sickness. <laughs> but I think, it, I mean, going into the trip, I think there's a video of us somewhere and I think I gave it like a 30% chance of success. Okay. And then I think around around the halfway mark we were ticking off peaks pretty good and and my mindset kind of changed i was like this is actually pop like if things keep going well and there's not some catastrophe then you know this this is possible for us to complete okay um, for you jeff i think there there was well the other moment that is is um i mean it's one thing to lay all these things out in a spreadsheet which is what i did like planning the calendar of okay, we'll climb these peaks on this day and how long will this take? And the funny thing is at the beginning, we had like eight or so extra days. And, you know, we even were like, oh, well, there's these other really cool peaks that aren't on this Bulger list. Maybe we'll go climb those because they're, they're right, would be right there. And that would be really fun to go climb those. And at some point later in the summer, we just looked back like, remember when we thought we would like have some extra time and, and we just like laughed about it. Uh, but so it's one thing to sit there with a spreadsheet and a schedule and plan it out. And it's another thing to actually be out there. And on our very first uh, trip of the summer where we were up uh, the, the um, uh, Chihuahua River north of Leavenworth, we had a lot of snow. We had thunderstorms. We had bad weather. Um, and, and it was just a hard trip. And we 
I thought it was going to take three days and it took us four days and we got back to our bikes at like midnight on the fourth day. So it was much longer than I thought. And I was like, wow, if that trip takes 33% longer, then this is not going to happen. And and we biked to a diner and plane and got, got some food the next morning and we're getting ready for our next trip. And and I was talking to my wife on the phone and I said, I don't know if we're going to do this. This is, this is like, this is our, we're already way behind. And, uh, and Landon overheard that. And he, he afterwards just said, no, I think we can do it. <laughs> and so that was a nice dose of optimism because I was getting kind of, I mean, I, you know, it was four days into the summer and I was, I was feeling a bit down about it. Um, but then weather improved. We still had a lot of thunderstorms, um, during the first few weeks of the trip. Um, our feet were wet almost all the time. Uh, and, and so, but once the weather got better and even, even with the thunderstorms, the nice thing is the thunderstorms would come up in the afternoon. So you could wake up early, climb peaks, move, move. And then if you got pinned down by a thunderstorm, we still were able to do, to accomplish some of the climbs every day. So okay. I still haven't answered your question of when I thought we were going to do it. Yeah, I think he, he, I was just, I was going to let us see if you disclose that. So yeah. When did you think? Probably similar a couple weeks in and a couple weeks from the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was really worried when I got sick and I just didn't seem to be getting better that I wasn't sure what was going to happen then. So um, I think a lot of it though is, is just living in the moment. And that one of the things you, you were kind of asking earlier is how do you accomplish something really big? And, and mm-hmm. the answer is just one step at a time. And so you don't think about the whole thing. You just think, what am I doing at this moment? And what am I doing? Um, you know, if you have five peaks to climb, you don't think I have five peaks to climb. You think you don't even think you have one peak to climb. You just think, what am I doing right here? What, what is the thing that's right in front of me? And so you just, you, you make those, those, those little, you know, each step, you know, is, is, is what you need to focus on. Cause that's the only thing you, you have control over is where you are at that moment. Well, that's absolutely very, very true. Okay. I'm going to ask this question. I don't know. I don't know that you can answer it, but let's try. Can you walk me through the timeline of a normal day on this trip? Yeah. Um, do we want to more than I thought. A day that involves both biking and climbing yeah, or just let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. So walk me through a day. All right. Our our typical wake up time, which we, we termed bolger time, is four thirty AM, which was pretty much the time we woke up every day, unless there were thunderstorms forecasted, we'd often wake up earlier. So 4.30, wake up, try to be moving shortly after 5. Load the bikes up. Um, bike to to the next trailhead. So would usually involve maybe some pavement riding and then a lot of riding up steep gravel roads. Mm-hmm. Once we get to the trailhead, there's a transition period where we take our climbing gear off the bikes, hide the bikes in the woods, load our packs, and then start hiking, hike to the base of a peak, go up the peak, come down back to the bikes and camp. And hopefully we would get, get back to the bikes before dark. 
I don't know how often that actually happens, but that was always the goal was to be done before dark and uh, repeat the next day. So I, I would add that if we, if we got to the bikes before dark, we'd usually try to bike to the next trailhead before camping. So a lot of times we, we would, we, we had a phrase also that there are no, there are no easy days. Uh, <laughs> there were a lot of days that we thought were going to be easier, like, oh, this day will be a shorter day. And it never turned out to be shorter uh, or easier. Um, there was always, I mean, it's, it's always seemed like there was something unexpected and a day that we are like, the, yeah, there were no easy days. All right. You said you got up at 4.30. What time were you guys going to bed? It varied a lot. I mean, it probably varied from, there were days where it was thundering and we went to bed at four in the afternoon. And then there was a segment um, in the, the peaks in the Sawtooth, kind of just east of Lake Chelan, we had probably four or five days in a row of going to sleep at 11 or midnight and still waking up at 4.30 or 5, which was, you can't do that forever. So no, I might have, just... might have, uh, when, when I first talked about this trip with Langdon, I, I might have misled him about the ratio of sleep or the amount of sleep that we might be getting. Because I said something like, we got to be getting like nine hours of sleep a night because otherwise our bodies will just break down. And, uh, but we had to just get done what we had to get done. And we were not getting nine hours of sleep a night. Oh. And, uh, and yeah. Uh, but, but how, how much did your bodies physically break down? Did you guys, did either of you suffer any, I mean, besides the, the, the stomach issues of that were sound just awful, but physical, like, broken bones and any injuries like that? No major injuries. I like mildly dislocated my shoulder early in the trip, but that didn't cause problems. But the physical breakdown was definitely significant. And I mean, by the time we were done, both of us were wasted and pretty much good for nothing. <laughs> like the, the pictures and videos of us from the end were like, we're waking up in the morning, like barely walking and talking and, and it wasn't super pretty. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we lost, we each lost about 10 pounds. Um, and that's not that bad. It's not that much actually. Yeah. I mean, I I, we both have very low body fat. Mm -hmm. 10 pounds for me is like, yeah, you're losing muscle. That's like 10. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot. Okay. Um, See for me, 10 pounds would be like a rounding error. So I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I mean, I think, I think also just, just the general fatigue level was what, you know, and the, the sleep deprivation um, <sighs> and just the, the exertion. I mean, and some people have, said made comments like oh that what great training you'll have you'll be in great shape and i think it's it's not it's too much training to be in great shape like it's it, because you reach the point where you're you're just you're getting so fatigued so kind of like um, cannibalizing your body yeah okay you mentioned you planned this out on a spreadsheet you also mentioned that you were concerned that you were really late that one day 
you mentioned you might have told him nine hours of sleep. <laughs> How close? You obviously completed it, so you know we, we, we know the story here is you, you succeeded, but your initial calculations, how close were you to the initial calculations? I think probably eight, eight uh, about eight days off, eight to ten days off. I, we, we thought we'd ha- I thought we had those eight slack days or so in there, and out of the 62 days of this, the main summer trip, yeah, so eight, so that's... 12%. Yeah, it's not bad. My wife will also tell you that when I say that I'm going to be somewhere at a certain time, I'm often a little bit late for that, or I, that I'm very bad at estimating durations of things. Um, Langdon also noticed that about me this summer. And I would say, I think we're going to climb this peak and we'll be, we'll be back here in four hours. And, uh, and there was a day where Langdon said, Hey, you know how you said we'd be back in four hours? Well, we're just getting to the peak and it's been four hours. And, and, uh, <clears throat> So I I, prefer, I I think it, I am not very good at estimating things. I prefer to think of it as optimism, but that might be just self delusional. How well did you guys get along during this exertion, lack of sleep? We we I mean, sit next to each other talking, so obviously it, you know. Yeah, we got along fairly well, actually really well for most of the trip. Yeah, towards the end. I think especially me, I got a little snappy and, uh, yeah, but no, we got, we got along well and, and now we're, uh, closer than we've ever been. So it, it worked out well. Yeah. I mean, there, there were definitely moments, but I think, um, I think, I think, I mean, it was a real, real privilege to do the trip. I mean, with, with Langdon and then with the Huru. And so, um, to 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 do the trip with those people was a real special thing and something that I think, you know, I'll treasure for my whole life. All right. When you well, Jeff, I'll ask you this question. Like, I'll like you to follow up. So, when you were planning this out, what were you looking forward to? Was there something about this that s- sounded like, oh, that'll be cool to do that? Is it a, maybe a specific peak? Maybe a ride between point A and point B? What, what were you looking forward to? Um, Did one peak, like, were you like excited for like one, was there a peak that you were like? There were peaks that I was excited to do, but I think mainly I was excited to spend a lot of time in the mountains with Jeff and learn a bunch and see, um, see a good portion of my home state. Yeah. And then I think also I was just excited to have a super difficult task at hand and and work towards a goal. Like it was, it's just fun to work super hard every day towards something. And and uh, yeah, it was very exciting. So okay, Jeff, how about I think you? For was, me, there, was there a, a peak? I thought of it as I just want to put beauty before my eyes all summer long and just expose my eyes to the most beautiful places and for as much time as possible. So, I mean, one of the special things about these, these peaks is they're, they're really tall and they all have really good views and they're all spectacular. They have different ecology. I mean, they affect the weather around them and the climate. And so you have different 
different assemblages of plant communities. And as you go through the elevation zones, they're different. And they're just all different and spectacular and beautiful. And so I just wanted to just put all that, just to, just to enjoy all that beauty. So I was just looking forward to immersing myself in so much natural wonder. You guys are both in Ellensburg. Um, there's a professor at Central, Nick Sentner. I'm sure you probably know him. Oh, yeah. I had, I had Nick on really early on in the podcast. Like he was like the seventh episode and great guy. And normally I talk to people beforehand now, like Langdon, you know, I talked on the phone, get a little bit like break the ice just a little bit. Yeah. I didn't do that with, with, with Nick. He, he literally popped up on the screen. We chatted for 30 seconds. He goes, okay, let's go. And uh, we were talking and he was telling me stuff. And the one thing that he told me, and I, I'm still blown away by this is that he was talking about um, the, um, the enchantments and that that rock originated down in what's now Baja, California. That it's through, through millions of years that rock has moved north um, through to where it's at today. And it's still, it's still moving incrementally, you know, very small amounts. So when I think of the Cascades, I kind of, I don't think of it. You just described it as they, the peaks were different. There was different ecology and all that around them. I, I think of them as all kind of the same, which is obviously I'm wrong. And I think that was a really cool observation that you made that you saw. So once again, those impossible questions, like who's your favorite kid? Um, were there any views that you, that you guys saw that were like, like magnificent, like forever etched in your minds? Almost every day. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, <laughs> one of the things that is really cool. Also, I, I feel like, is when you're swimming, if you're swimming and you are at the surface and you look around and then you put your head down and swim for a while and then look around or you swim underwater and you come and look around, it was kind of like that. Like when you're up on a high peak, <clears throat> you can see all the peaks around you and you get this view and then you go down in the valley and go up to the next peak and it's like coming back to the surface, but having a different view. Uh, and so, and, and we got to do that like a hundred times over the summer. And, and so you could see all the peaks that you had been to, and you could see the peaks that we were going to. And so, and, and every peak had a different perspective. It had different weather. Um, and as you mentioned, I mean, the, the geology uh, is different. Um, and I also am a geologist. So, uh, so I definitely know Nick Zentner quite well. And, <laughs> um, my wife teaches in the department with him. And so, okay. uh, so yeah, I'm, I definitely, I love the geology of the Cascades and, and I'm really interested in that too. So just, just that idea of like going up and looking and then diving down and going and seeing a different view. And the sum of all those views is way more than just like the parts. I love that. All right. So I have a couple more questions for you. Somebody walks up to you and says, Hey, thinking about doing the hundred peaks, going to do it on a bicycle. What are you going to tell them? What's the piece of advice that you wish you would have had before doing this, that you would give to somebody who's thinking about doing it now? Um, don't do it with someone who only has 70 days of summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I think it like the, the time crunch was the hardest thing for us. But I think if you had from May to September, you could probably enjoy, not that we didn't enjoy it, but you could enjoy every minute of it probably. Okay. Uh, How about you, Jeff? Not have climbed Mount, we would not have had to climb Mount Baker in that storm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I would tell them you're in for a fantastic treat. Um, and yeah, I'd be super psyched to share uh, information about routes and equipment and, and all kinds of stuff. I'd be super stoked to help anyone who is wanting to do this or wanting to do it faster. And I think one thing that maybe will incentivize somebody is we actually didn't do it that fast because uh, we did three trips in May over weekends, mm -hmm. which were great uh, because first of all, we couldn't have fit the trip in between the end of one teaching year and the beginning of the coaching year without those three trips. But also those trips were really useful for training and for helping us dial in how to pack our bikes and equipment and food and all kinds of things. So we learned a lot on those three trips. But because of that, I mean, really the duration of our our trip was 70 days, but really the, the, that was spread out over, I mean, from the first day of the first trip to the last day of the, of the last trip or the, the last day of the summer was 107 days. Yeah. So someone could break that record. So, and, right. and if someone wanted to do that, then I would be happy to give them all kinds of information and, and all the advice. And I'd be super psyched for them to do it. If, if you were going to do this again, using the same parameters that you have, you got the school year and then the coaching, would you do it in the same order or would you change the order up? Same order, I think. Yeah, I think the order was pretty good. The order was pretty good? One thing, it was, sure would have been nice to do St. Helens and Adams early, but the, the problem with that was that the roads between them are pretty high and snowy, and so we didn't think we could do those in May. Okay. It takes more personal days, say for some more personal days for the spring. <laughs> okay. No, that, that's because, yeah, you, you've got the weather. You, you, You've got snow on one end, you got fire at the other end of it, unfortunately, you know, hopefully not fire, but you know, you got those two things. And then how hot was it on the hottest day that you guys were climbing? Well, it wasn't that hot in the mountains. The hottest was biking down the west side. We did it during that heat wave in August when it was, yeah. I don't know, 90s. In Unpleasant. Okay. Yeah. It was like, I know it was like 110 in Ellensburg, 108 that day here, but it was not that hot in on the west side. Chilis. No. Yeah. Another uh, piece of advice I think would be nutrition. Okay. I had a day early on in the trip. The first, the first trip of the summer, Jeff was mentioning that went four days instead of three where I totally ran out of food and Jeff was rationing me bits of cheese and it was just very unpleasant to not have any energy. Um, so I think proper nutrition and just eating as much as you can all all the time is pretty crucial. How many calories are you guys trying to consume a day? <clears throat> um, I tracked calories pretty carefully and it was funny. Like our, we kind of figured out how many calories each one of us needed. And then when we'd go to a store to purchase food, mm -hmm. we just say, we need food for five days. And 
my my calorie count was about six thousand a day. So I just take the number of days we needed food for times six thousand and get my calculator, my phone out, and throw stuff in the cart until I hit the hit the magic number. How about Jeff? What were you tracking calories? I was about five thousand, okay. and uh, and same thing. We well, I learned that from Langdon because he was like, "I'm really gonna." In the, one of our first resupplies, he's like, I'm going to do all the math on this. And I was like, oh, I'll just see what looks right. And then I thought, you know, this is probably a really good idea that he has to actually make sure. Um, so, yeah, we would we'd sit there doing our math with our calculators. It was kind of kind of funny because one of the things, those resupply days, which were maybe like kind of a quote unquote rest day, were not actually very restful because sometimes... <laughs> There's a lot to think about. If you go through a town, you got a grocery shop, you're dealing with like repairing your gear and trying to figure, trying to make sure you have all the information downloaded that you need for the next thing. Maybe, um, and if you're like, we stayed at some friend's house and, and which was, was, was fantastic. Um, but just kind of, it, it wasn't like a, a necessarily a laid back time. Like there was a lot to do. And so, um, uh, I forgot where I was going that with that, but but just figuring out the food was one of those big chores. And so sometimes we would be shopping and we'd be just kind of like minds would be foggy. And plus we were fatigued and, and we were trying to figure out what to buy for food for this upcoming trip. And some of some of those trips might have looked kind of funny in the grocery stores. <laughs> so what were you guys what would you eat on an average day? A lot of cheese. So we I spent a good amount of time before the trip preparing a bunch of dinners that we ate for pretty much the whole trip that we mailed to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then everything other than the dinners we bought at stores be like a lot of cheese and crackers, um, like usually some summer sausages or beef jerky, and then a lot of candy and like a lot of junk food like candy and like pastries brownies cookies you know just like you go to the grocery store and it's like what has the most fat like the most calorie dense things we could buy that you can just eat and not prepare mm -hmm. well one, so one of the dinners was like mazama so we had to so we shopped at the Mazama store, which is kind of a grocery store, but it's kind of a, a touristy place. Mm -hmm. And so that's not like but it's not like a normal full service grocery store. And we got a lot of good stuff there for sure. And then the next place is Marble Mount, where there's just a couple of gas stations. And so we're trying to outfit ourselves with with convenience store food. And so there were like peanut MMs and you know, things like that that were uh, but they have a lot of calories. Right. Right, but it's no, probably not the healthiest of diets. And a couple of Twinkies. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, there one, at one point there was the store where they were like these brownies. That was in Marble Mount where there were the yeah. brownies, but they were like the guy at the checkout stand was like hitting them on the on the stand, and they were like, "These are really hard. I can't sell these to you." And then I think he gave didn't he? Give yeah, them he just them? gave them to me for for free, and I still <laughs> ate them. <laughs> you still ate them. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, you said you were you prepared dinners. What what sort of were you preparing for dinner? Yeah, so I think there were like six different dinners I made, and they were 
all between like a thousand and twelve hundred calories. We had couscous and salmon, um, ramen with the tuna. We had rice and beans and cheese with tortillas, tortilla soup kind of thing. We had uh, like Thai curry, chicken curry. Um, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, which is one of our favorites. Mashed potatoes, stuffing, gravy mix, cranberries, and and tuna instead of turkey. But okay. Yeah, stuff like that. All right. So I'm gonna Last I'm gonna say I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little note in here. Lena did a, an excellent job with the with the food preparation, um, and we kind of split the duties in the spring. Uh, and I was working on root information, and um, and there. You know, so for mountains, there's often a lot of ways to climb a mountain. And so I'm going to tell you a story about this one mountain north of our near the end, north end of Lake Chelan called Tupshin. And, uh, and there's a set of books called the Becky guides to the mountains of Washington state. And so, uh, my, my route information was typically looking a little bit at trip reports, but also just photographing the pages of the Becky guides that I, that I had, although I actually didn't get to that cause I was really busy. So I, I, I photographed a bunch of them in the Leavenworth library, um, and, and then at a friend's house. And so, uh, but Tupshin, anyway, the first thing that Becky lists is this route called the West Face, which turned out to be, you know, fairly challenging. And we, we're on this route and we're like, there is not any sign that anyone has been here. Sometimes there's climbing gear left behind for the descent and things like that. And there wasn't really hardly anything there. And and then we get to the top of the mountain and then there's there's some gear for the descent on top. And Lainan whips out his phone and has coverage and, and searches for Tupshin Peak. And the first thing he finds is absolutely don't climb the west face no one climbs it it's dangerous it's hard it's like no one the only route you should even consider is the east face on the other side and uh and so um uh so that i i did not do a good as good a job with that part of the route reconnaissance as Lina did with the food um and and i i said well that's that's I just looked at the becky guides and and uh and and not so didn't do as good a job searching the internet and and Lane said, well, it was the very first thing that popped up when I typed in Tupshin Peak was <laughs> don't go on the west face, go on the east face. So um, and we were going to descend the east face, but then we realized that actually our pole, we had left our trekking poles at the base of the west face. So we had to descend this this kind of treacherous way as well. Um, and uh, to, because we'd left our poles at the base of the route. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question about the event, the whole thing. And it's going to be, once again, I, I tend to ask these questions that are like hard, not intentionally hard, but like, so what was your biggest takeaway from the whole thing? Um, for me, there were two, I'm going to break the rules of your question. That's okay. <laughs> there were two biggest takeaways. One is that Washington state is just absolutely gorgeous and there are a lifetime worth of adventures to be had in Washington State. Even if you climb 100 peaks in the summer, there's still a lifetime worth of adventures. Um, so it's a rad place. And two, the glaciers 
all around the world, but specifically Washington state are melting insanely fast. Um, we, you know, we, we saw a lot of glaciers, some that we had seen before and the rate at which they're melting is just astounding. There is a report that came out just with the, within the last week, uh, that's based on glacier data from the last 40 years. And this summer, the summer 2023 on average, I think Washington lost about 6% of glacier mass in one summer. So, uh, they're not going to be there forever. And I'm just very glad I got to see, see them when I did. So I had no idea that I knew, I knew the glaciers were, were melting, but I had no idea that that number was that significant. Yeah, it's, it is. Yeah. I mean, there are times where we're, we're looking at a map and it's like, we're supposed to be on the glacier and we're nowhere near the glacier. It's receded so much. Or we're supposed to be there's there's supposed to be 300 feet of ice here that we're on top of and it's it's all gone. Wow. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that I got out of it is definitely what Landon said about Washington State being an incredible place. So I, I definitely echo that. But it's, I mean, it 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 was a really it was so neat to do a trip like that without carbon emissions. And I I know there are carbon emissions from well, first of all, we used you know a. Uh, we use fuel for our stove and we had a bunch of gear that was manufactured. And so it's not completely carbon free, but, but to live like that was really special and to live without, without cars is really special. Um, and, but now I'm back in my normal life and I'm trying to bike as much as I can to school, but not as much as I was in the spring when I was biking all the time, because from the beginning of the trip, I just decided, okay, I'm not going to get in a car for this whole duration. So the last, month of school and I just biked everywhere unless I was driving students or going to my son's graduation. Those were the two things, mm-hmm. but it's so easy to fall back into a routine of, of, of a, a car based lifestyle. And so much of our infrastructure is designed around that. And I just, um, I think one of the takeaways is to make me just think a lot more about that lifestyle and, and also, in terms of recreation to think, how can I recreate more locally? Um, and, and what are the things that are right in front of, in front of my face that I can, that I can, that I can do and appreciate. Okay. All right. As we wrap this up, a couple more, what didn't I ask you that I should have? I mean, I think one thing I talked about a little bit, uh, you kind of asked, how do we get through it? And I told you the mental trick, and this is one of the things that I've talked to my athletes about is how did, how did, how did we get through it? And, um, and so just all the, I, I felt like I used a lot of the mental tricks that I've learned in, in competitive sports and distance running. I use all those tricks at some point in the summer. So, um, being in the moment is really important. Sometimes if, if there's a, a long day, uh, and, and it's, you know, just thinking about those steps, but also appreciating the things around you. I had a, I would kind of do this little challenge with myself where I would try to make it so that if I ever closed my eyes, I could name three species of trees that were right in the, in the area. So I was trying to be aware of my surroundings. So there were all sorts of tricks like that. And then, then just being relentlessly positive 
um, with things that you say out loud, but also things that you say in your own head. Um, and just reminding, reminding myself that, Hey, I can do this, or it's not that far, or I can get this next little bit. And, um, and just being really positive was, those were some of the things that, it, that it took. And it's, um, I mean, you know, we, we may be, we're not like elite athletes, but we're, we're maybe stubborn and, uh, and determined. And so I think that's, the, I think those tricks are things that are, are really helpful. And I try to share those with my, my students and especially the athletes. Yeah. I think another big takeaway that we haven't really talked about is just, I think the trip would have been totally impossible as a single person. Mm. Um, just the, the group dynamic and, and knowing that I have a, a partner who is equally as committed as I am when you wake up in the morning and it's like really cold and you're super tired and like, you don't want to get up. And if it was just me, I'd probably just fall back asleep. But when you have someone next to you that you don't want to let them down and they don't want to let you down, the, uh, the power of having partners that you believe in and that believe in you, I think make, make things that would be impossible by yourself. Very possible. So, okay. All right. So Jeff, you didn't, you weren't privy to the questions that I ask at the end of every conversation. So I apologize. That's okay. I'm, I'm good to go. I'll go first. There, there's three, three questions. Two. All right. Number one, where's a good place to get a cup of coffee in Ellensburg? Uh, best place to get coffee in Ellensburg, DNM. Ditto. You, yeah. So what's your, what are your, what, if, at DNM, what are you ordering? Uh, drip coffee black. Mocha with whipped cream. Mocha with whipped cream. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get to Ellensburg around lunchtime. Where's a good place for me to go grab lunch in Ellensburg these days? Binman's. Binman's. Binman's Bakery. Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm going to break your rule on this question again. Um, I'm going to combine the first, the first question and the second question. Okay. And this place actually isn't even in Ellensburg, but it's close. So if you're in Ellensburg, it is worth the 10 minute drive. And that is, um, the Kittitas cafe is, I believe to be the best breakfast in the Valley. They have great really? coffee, great breakfast, and it is just a wonderful place. So I would go there. Okay. All right. So here's the last question. Neither of you know what the last question is, unless you've listened to episodes of my show, which you haven't done. All right. Jeff, you're going to answer this question first. Cake or pie and why? Pie because it's got fruit in it usually. What, what pie would you go with? Well, I, I, I love like a, an apple pie or like a, um, uh, a peach pie. It's really good. Yeah. So many pies, but then I also really love a chocolate pie or pecan pie. Okay. Uh, yeah. Huckleberry pie with wild picked huckleberries though is maybe the top. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, pie. 
also because you put fresh fruit in it. And I would probably go with strawberry rhubarb or yeah, strawberry rhubarb pie. Strawberry rhubarb. Okay. Solid. There's no wrong answer here. Well, maybe yeah, there's a couple that to me are wrong, but you know. <laughs> Although today my students, uh, well, it's, my students had to make a model of an atom and a few of them made those models out of cake. Um, they made a cake to represent the atom and the different components of the atom. And that was pretty cool. Can you elaborate on that? Cause I'm having a hard time visualizing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, 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 they made a cake and then they frosted it with protons and neutrons and electrons in their, in their proper uh, energy levels and amounts. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then they shared it with the class. Well, there you go. Well, you have to, don't you? Isn't that the rule? If you bring cake to class, you have to share it. I mean, yeah. you can't just, yeah. Okay. At least that's the rule it was when I was in school a long time ago, even when I went to Central. Jeff, where did you go to school at? And how did you end up in Ellensburg? Um, I ended up here. My wife got a job teaching at Central. We knew we okay. wanted to live in a small town in the West, and she, she got a job here, which was fantastic, in the geology Where'd department. Where did you grow up at? Uh, I grew up in Seattle. Okay. Where did um, you go to college? I went to college at Dartmouth and went to grad school in California at Caltech. And, oh. and so I'm a, I'm a huge science nerd. Yeah. I decided that I wanted to be a high school science teacher. And Langdon, you, you, you grew up in Ellensburg. You didn't have a choice. Um, yeah. But why do you stay? Um. And there's no wrong answer, by the way. I, don't, I love Ellensburg. Ellensburg is like my favorite little town in the city. Yeah, it's funny. State of Washington. I mean, when I graduated high school, I the only thing I wanted to do was leave. So I went to Bozeman for a few years. Um, and now I'm back here. And it's a great little town. And it's close yeah. to the mountains. And Washington is a great state. And uh, yeah, it's a great place to live. I lied. I do have one more question for both of you. Yeah. What's next? What's next for you guys? What do you guys, you might not do it together, but what's, I can't imagine that you're done. Like you're tapped out. We're done. That's it. That's, I got to imagine you got other things you're thinking about. Yeah. I will say that I am thinking about future trips um, along the same lines as the trip this summer, a little different. Uh, I don't want to give them away just yet, okay. but there will be, future expeditions. Uh, yeah. I think Jeff, one yeah. thing that, that we've been doing together a little bit since getting back is doing a little more rock climbing and in the mountains, the rock is typically, well, a lot of times the rock is not very solid as in, uh, you know, there's loose rock, there's a lot of freeze thaw. And so, um, getting to climb like rock that is all put together is really fun and, and challenging. And there's a lot of very challenging peaks that are not among the top 100 highest that are mm -hmm. still really beautiful and, and, and inspirational to go to. So I'm looking forward to doing some, some rock climbing and some rock climbing in the mountains. Okay. Guys, thank you so much. This was in, super informative. You're, you're, I still, you know, I've talked to you for an hour. I still don't know how the heck you did it. Um, and you've even explained it, you know, one foot in front of the other. I get it, the mindset, all of that, but still just the the sheer effort that you guys put out was, is is super impressive. So 
Thanks again for taking the time to sit with me today. Yeah, it's really fun. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at ExploreWaState. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at ExploreWashingtonState.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.